and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today, we have a very special guest for you, the authentic Jennifer Gardner, all the way from Ohio, USA, who is an expert in myofascial release and craniosacral. And through her own healing journey, she worked with psychological effects of trauma and also the mental, emotional and spiritual effects of trauma. Jennifer talks to us about avoiding attachment to happiness, positivity and comfort because when we are attached to happiness and comfort and attached to always having a positive outlook we begin to fear losing them when we exhibit these qualities because of an underlying fear of losing them over time these attachments can keep us stuck and stagnant you see we can convince the world around us that we're happy positive and comfortable and for a period of time we can even convince ourselves Eventually, we realize that deep inside, we're screaming for what we truly want. Life is about change, and change brings up chaos and discomfort in our lives. Sometimes people are so adamant about always being positive and happy that they miss those inner cues that sometimes isn't right, like anxiety, anger, worry, frustration, and irritability. All of those things are deemed negative. Well, they're not. That's your authentic self communicating through your body and your mind that you need to take some sort of time out and change in your life. Once the change happens and we are in alignment with our authentic self again, being happy and positive isn't work anymore. These things let us know when we are or aren't in alignment with ourselves. Jennifer often finds herself fascinated by topics other people prefer to avoid. She finds solace in her back porch during the warm months and in front of her her fireplace during the cooler months. It's now time to tune into this authentic human being. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good morning for me. It is 7.58 a.m. Saturday morning. We have a special guest for you all the way from Ohio. And we have Jennifer Gardner. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you today, Catherine. So Jennifer, it's an interesting story. Jennifer reached out after listening to the Radical Shift Summit and uh, it was after listening to Melanie Phillips' interview. And uh, so she reached out because uh, Melanie talked a little bit about, I hope I pronounced this correct, craniosacral. 
And uh, so Jennifer wanted to um, talk more about that because that is her specialty. So maybe before we get started, Jennifer, let's unpack Jennifer. Who is Jennifer? And maybe let's deep dive into some of the work that you do. Sure. Um, well, as I said, my name's Jennifer Gardner, or as you said, um, I specialize in myofascial release and craniosacral therapies. Um, the myofascial release considers craniosacral work to be one part of the pie or one piece of the puzzle to a complete treatment. Uh, so I'm I'm considered um, to be an expert level therapist in my field, and that does include craniosacral work. Mm. So what kind of because um, we were saying we know so Jennifer was explaining where it's the it's the triangle be- below where your spine is, and as I was saying to Jennifer, I personally have experienced this because obviously when I was pregnant, I had sciatic nerve, so I know where that sits. But what kind of uh, people come to you, Jennifer? Oh, I get all kinds of people who come to me. Um, most of the time people come to me because they have tried mainstream medical treatments and they're at their wits end and they're, they're coming to me saying, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried X, Y, Z, and I figured what the heck, I'll try this and see what happens. And that relates to my story as well. Um, I spent about a decade of, of my life in chronic pain. My pain man- manifested in my upper back, neck, and shoulders. And I ran around to chiropractors and physical therapists and general practitioners, um, pain medications, um, you name it. I tried it. I even had surgery. And it didn't get rid of my pain. And after a series of layoffs whenever the economy went sour, I found a way to go to massage therapy school. And right after I graduated massage therapy school and uh, attained my license, one of my very first classes was in myofascial release. And I started being a client of myofascial release, not just learning the technique, but also being a client. And it was about six to eight months into receiving treatments. And I I do want to note that I wasn't receiving treatments regularly because at that point in my life, I couldn't afford regular treatments. So sometimes I was lucky to make it to my therapist once a month. So after about six to eight months in, I woke up one morning and I'm like, holy cow, my pain is gone. How long has it been gone? And why didn't I notice before today? (laughs) I was out of chronic pain. So somewhere a light bulb went on and I stuck with the treatments. Um, I stuck with learning the therapy and I'm seeing with my clients that come in that, and I saw this pretty early in my career, that when I started incorporating the myofascial release, the complaints that my clients had would either change or their complaints would go away and they would feel good and stop coming. And I'm like, this is what I want. They're getting better. They're going out the door. I don't have them stuck. As When I was doing traditional massage, my clients would come in and they would have the same complaints every single time. They'd get off the table and they'd feel great. A week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, whatever the interval was, they would come in with the same exact complaints. I felt like I had them stuck in a revolving door. 
So it was such a relief mentally, emotionally, and physically, not for me, not to have myself stuck in a revolving door and not to have my clients stuck in a revolving door because I, I finally felt like I was helping people. So it's obviously through your own journey of healing that you got into this. Yes. Mm. That's why I stuck with it. There have been a lot of other continuing education things that I have tried over the years, and they don't have the lasting effect of the myofascial work. It seems to be temporary and short-lived with symptoms coming back. So this was a huge game changer for me. Mm. And so what can one expect from a treatment? Because, you know, when we're talking about chronic pain, it can vary. It varies from, it depends on, you know, if I, if I would say like from one to 10, how bad or how chronic is your pain, it varies from a scale yes. to one to 10. So what can one expect from uh, a treatment and how long can it take uh, before you start feeling the the effect of the treatment? Excellent question. That does vary from person to person, um, how long it can take for the treatment. Um, but to take a step back, what to expect for from the a treatment. Uh, I, I go through this with clients all the time on the phone prior to their first treatment. Um, my license is massage therapist, but I gave up doing traditional massage years ago. And I like to explain to my clients, um, one of the first things they can expect when they come in is I will not be using lotion or gel or oil or any type of lubricant on the skin that lets my hands slide. Um, it's important to have dry hands on dry skin because that's how, as therapists, we hook into the fascial system. Um, by not sliding across the skin. Oftentimes, um, as with craniosacral therapy, the myofascial touch can be very light. Um, when I started learning, I've, I've done different types of craniosacral therapy. And in some of the classes of craniosacral work that I have attended, uh, they talk about, you know, using protocols, using really light pressure at five grams of pressure or 15 grams of pressure. Um, as a myofascial therapist, I'm taught not to stick with a protocol, but I'm taught to feel into the body and give the body the pressure it asks for. Um, I'm also trained in subtle energy, and there have been a couple times in my career where clients have come in and they've been in so much pain that when my hand is in the energy field surrounding the body, it's almost like two North Poles on a magnet. There's a repellent that keeps my hand from even touching the body. So sometimes I'm doing energy work before I can actually put my hand on the person because they're in so much pain. But for most people, once I put my hands on, it's very light touch and feeling into the body, feeling into the fascial system. Um, and I should probably segue into what is the fascial system, because if I were hearing this, that would be a question I would have right now. Um, so a lot of people describe the fascial system, uh, they like to describe it with chicken. You know, if you've ever peeled the skin off of a piece of chicken, that silvery layer that's right under the skin is fascia, uh, which is true. That silvery layer right under the skin is fascia, but that's not the entirety of the fascial system. The fascial system is, it includes the connective tissue in the body, which is our tendons, our ligaments, that, you know, superficial fascia, which is that silvery layer of skin. 
but it also includes the ground substance. And the ground substance is that gelatinous goo that all of our cells float in because the space between the cells is not nothing. So all that stuff that's between the however many trillions of cells, I've heard you know, up to 100 trillion cells in an adult body, all of that stuff between the cells is part of the fascial system. So it's this multi-dimensional web that's essentially the size and shape of you. And when there, when there are restrictions in that fascial system, which includes the meninges and the dural tube, which is, you know, part of the craniosacral system, when there are restrictions in that fascial system, you can feel it. If you learn to palpate it, you can feel it. it you can feel the pull um, of the fascial system when there's a restriction. So I'm really curious, you were talking about sometimes when you start working with a client, there may be a level of resistance that you have to do energy work first. What kind Mm -hmm. of energy work do you apply when you are feeling resistance with a client? Um, I am, I'm trained in subtle energy, uh, which is um, sometimes called therapeutic touch. And so I'm, when I'm when I'm working in the energy field, sometimes it feels like hot spots or cold spots. Um, sometimes it feels like pins and needles or tingling. And this is what I'm feeling in my hands. Um, sometimes, like I said, two north poles of a magnet where you feel that resistance. Um, it feels like that sometimes. Sometimes it feels really sludgy. Uh, and, and those can be areas where... There are mental or emotional or other other parts of the being that have issues. And I'd also like to say that as myofascial therapists, we are trained, um, and I'm trained in the John Barnes method of myofascial release. Um, I've, I've come to learn over the years that uh, myofascial release is a bit of a generic term. And the John Barnes method is a little bit different than some other generic forms of myofascial work because we work really holistically with our clients. And I know you've interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton before, and he he talks a lot about how emotional stuff, you know, can you know, can really affect our beings and affect our bodies. And so emotional issues or um, spiritual issues, when we're not in alignment with ourselves, uh, that can really manifest in the physical body and it can manifest as disease um, over time. It can manifest as disease or chronic pain or chronic issues. A, A lot of times these diseases and autoimmune issues that we really don't know what the cause is, um, I often find that there is an emotional component underlying that, that the person is either unaware of and sometimes just outright unwilling to address. It's so true. And I think that it it goes down to what uh, Dr. Bruce Slipton was talking about as well. When we talk about Mm -hmm. spirituality, and it's quite interesting, I spoke about this the other day, when spirituality could mean anything for you, right? It could be your mindset, your high consciousness, your high self, you know, source, God, whatever it is to you. Uh, but it's really important to address all bodies, you know, not just the spiritual, but the mentals, the way that we think. And then with enough emotion, which fuels our thought, can then trickle down into our physical body. Yes. 
And this is where you're saying that we can then manifest disease. So from what what you're saying, so you work on all levels. So you work on the physical level, the emotional, mental and spiritual level. Is that correct? Yes. Right. It is. Yes, that is correct. And I'm also learning that um, I'm studying uh, how to work with trauma as well. So because I noticed that a lot of my clients who come in, um, their emotional issues are rooted in past traumas or childhood abuse or, you know, uh, adult domestic abuse. So when, when you have the abuse component thrown into what somebody is dealing with, in order truly to meet people where they are, I've come to realize that I myself need a better understanding of trauma and how to work with it. I've lived through trauma and abuse in my life. So not only is it helping me heal, but it's helping me truly meet my clients where they are. And I'm seeing emotional progress as well. And when the emotional progress happens, the physical progress follows. And it's amazing. It's amazing to watch my clients get better Mm. uh, physically, emotionally, and mentally, because it's all, it's like this overcooked pot of spaghetti. You can't, it's hard to untangle it all. Mm, I know. And when you're talking about emotion, I mean, that's really working with the heart, isn't it? And when you're looking at it from a chakra perspective, the heart is that bridge from, you know, as above, so below. So it is, it is working with the emotion is the emotions are everything that makes us who we are today. I'd like to uh, tap into, because I know you talk about body language as well. And Mm -hmm. let's talk about how do we empower ourselves through body language because that's one of those things I love, Um, you know, that we when we look at it, I always look at the the, the size of the body and when you think about Mm -hmm. you can trick your mind with your body. So, for example, if you get up in the morning and you're feeling a little bit blue, uh, try skipping. Uh, It's impossible (laughs) for you to remain um, in that kind of state of mind if you are moving around and jumping around and skipping because you're actually then tricking your mind because your mind's going, hang on a minute, just about five minutes ago you said to me you were feeling blue and now you're jumping around like a five-year-old. So talk us through a little bit about body language and how we can empower uh, ourselves uh, through body language. Sure. So I have recently started studying at the Body Language Institute in Virginia, and I'm I'm learning from Janine Driver, and she she's a body language expert. And the difference between her and what we call the old method of body language is not to make assumptions. Uh, for example, it's it's common. I hear this all the time. Uh, People will say, that guy over there standing with his arms crossed, he's closed, he's unapproachable, he's rude. Um, No, you have to get his baseline. What if that's how he stands all the time? Uh, What if that is normal for him? And what if he's cold or, you know, so noticing that somebody's standing with their arms crossed, we have to realize when we are making assumptions and that becomes a probing point. And by probing point, that's a place where we can ask questions. The way I'm using body language is, again, because I'm working a lot of times with people who have past trauma and past abuse, past abuse, uh, for people who have lived through abuse, especially developmental types of abuse and complex types of abuse, which especially the complex types, that's the type of abuse that it's like hidden. 
it's the mental abuse, the manipulation, the verbal abuse. There are no bruises with that. There's not hitting with it or anything outright. It, it's the little by little whittling away of the psyche and the individual. Um, those types of those types of victims oftentimes don't know, number one, how to identify when somebody is being dishonest, deceptive, manipulative, or, you know, just flat out lying to them, nor do they know how to use their own body language for empowerment. So I'm, I'm, I'm new as a student in body language. Uh, this, I, this is my first year training with Janine Driver and my hope is in studying body language and what I'm already like starting to do with my clients is to, first of all, find out their norm and figure out how can we put empowering positions into their normal lifestyle that don't look like, oh, she picked that up from a book. That doesn't look normal <laughs> because that's what we don't want. We don't want it to look fake. And sometimes like what you're talking about at home, skipping or look in the mirror and practice your body language. There's a little bit of the fake it till you make it until you make it element to it. So that's where it's important to practice at home. Um, I know the one of the most empowering positions is the Superman position where, you know, standing with your legs about hip width distance apart and your hands on your hips. Um, they call it the Superman position. And it's really hard to stand in that position and feel little and feel small and, you know, feel unworthy, which so many of us, whether we've been through trauma and abuse or not, have that inner feeling. So just standing like that and looking in the mirror can be really empowering. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And then you take it out into the world and it becomes more natural. Mm, that's really interesting. See, I do a little bit of body language through public speaking. So some of the training that mm -hmm. I do is actually about public speaking and it's about how to stand in a way that is comfortable for your audience as well because once again depending on the individual's experience for example if you're talking about trauma they experienced something at a very young age or whether it was abuse or they had a very domineering kind of mother or father um, mm -hmm. making that kind of stand as well can be uh, empowering for the individual but when you are presenting, it could be quite the opposite for the the audience. They might feel a little bit threatened or a little bit um, intimidated by your stand. So, yes, I can see how that can be very empowering for the individual to stand like Superman. But mm -hmm. I guess, it, like I said, it would have to be in the right environment. Is that correct? Um, I'm not sure that there's a right or wrong environment for it. I think it's what is right or wrong for the person who's displaying that posture. Mm. Because for some of us, that's just not who we are. So, and, and I'm a firm believer in we have to know ourselves. Uh, you have to go inside and really get to know yourself in, in this life. Um, that that's what I believe. And I, I really drill that home for my clients is what works for me might not work for you. So I think we have to know ourselves to know our own em empowering gestures. Otherwise you're right. It comes across as, wow, that, that 
is weird or intimidating or the audience might take a step back if that's not natural for you. Mm. And it, it comes across as fake. It can. Yeah. See, know yourself is, is, is a big one. This gets bantered a lot, around a lot. And I believe <laughs> that when you're saying know yourself, there's so many components to that. So let's unpack that a little bit. When you're saying know yourself, what are, what would be some things or some advice, some little tips that you could give to our listeners for them to become more self-aware? Okay. Um, yeah. And that's an excellent question. Um for me, I believe that our physical bodies are like a giant communication system. Uh, and I think it's this giant communication system between who we truly are, our mind, and the world around us. Because I don't believe my mind is who I truly am. Uh, my mind sometimes takes over and there's this little voice in the back of my head going, Wow, that's interesting. Where'd that thought come from? Or what made that, you know, it's that little voice in the back that's always questioning. Somewhere in there is who I truly am. Uh, so I, I believe the body is this communication system. Um, and I'm going to go back to Bruce Lipton for a second because Bruce Lipton talks about how the mind can create a feeling. Um, because we can have a thought. Uh, for example, most people can identify with grief because most people have lost a loved one or a love, a pet that they love or something. We, I, I think we've all experienced some sort of loss in our life that we've grieved. And even if that was 20 or 30 years ago, we can think about that loss and it brings up a sensation in the body. It brings up that chemical reaction. So the thought can create the feeling, but the feeling can also create the thought. So I might be out in public, you know, with my friends doing something. And all of a sudden this feeling of grief comes up, which takes, you know, brings all these thoughts into my head of losses that I've experienced in my life. So there's a communication. It's a two-way street of communication going on between my mind and my body. So I have to be able to figure out for myself by knowing myself, okay, when that feeling comes up, when I'm out in public and it randomly comes up, okay, I have to be able to think, okay, what, what's that about? Why am I having this grief? I'm out with my friends. I'm having a good time. And all of a sudden I've got this feeling of grief. What did that trigger and what's that trigger about? And what is that trying to communicate to me? Because through those sensations and those emotions in my body, my body is trying to tell me you're triggered. Something's coming up. Something went wrong. You you've got to figure this out and maybe do something a little bit differently or approach differently. Um, one of my favorite topics to talk about with my clients is anger. We hear all the time, um, you know, let go of anger, let go of anger, get rid of anger. No, don't let go of anger. We need anger. Anger is a huge, huge communicator. When you feel anger in your body, that's letting you know that somebody has overstepped a boundary that you have set and maybe you need to reestablish a boundary or something just isn't sitting well with you. So maybe you yourself need to do something differently. Now, when I say don't let go of anger, I'm not encouraging people to let anger control their behavior. That doesn't mean go be mean to somebody pay attention to those feelings, feel them and figure out what is that trying to tell you. So we have to know, really get into our own emotions and really feel that and know how we communicate with ourselves. 
that's what I'm talking about. And I hope that makes sense because sometimes people look at me with crossed eyes when I talk about this. Oh, absolutely makes sense. It's one of those things that when emotions come up, I really believe there's always a message and it is about crossing the boundaries. And, and, you know, because we live in this kind of uh, environment where it's all fast paced, we tend to push things down and not actually Mm -hmm. really listen. And you're right. It's not about allowing yourself to go crazy and be angry, but feel the emotion, connect with the emotion. And I find what I do, I always have this little analogy that I share that I'm sitting in the car, I'm the driver of my car. And when my emotions come up, they are sitting on the passenger side right beside me. And I have this little conversation. So why are you here? What am I to do with you? And how can we work through this together? So for me, it's about stopping and you know, five minutes maybe or giving yourself enough time to be able to have that really quick conversation rather than pushing it down. Or if it's not the right time, uh, if you're having a conversation or whatever that may be and it's coming up in, in, in a situation, it's probably you don't have the space to do so. I go, okay, park it in the car, just park the car and go back in there when you do have that space to deal with it. Yes. And I, I'm so glad you said that. You said exactly what I was going to say. Sometimes you have to say, all right, I'm, I'm at the grocery store right now. This is not the appropriate time. Let's talk about this as soon as I get home, but I promise I won't forget you. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So through your journey, what has been some of your greatest lessons? Oh goodness. Um, What I just talked about has been one of my greatest lessons because I haven't always been in this place where I have really listened to my emotions. So being able to identify the messages that I get through my body, through my mind, through my entire being, um, when something is or isn't right for me and being able to identify that has been, it, it, that's been huge. That's been a game changer. Um, so yeah, learning how I communicate with myself has, Mm. has been one of the greatest lessons I've had. Um, and another one is, um, acceptance. Uh, I spent a lot of my life just plowing through and trying to change other people and trying to get other people to fit into my little mold of what I think they should be or what I think they should do. And I wasn't accepting who they truly are. Uh, I was, I, I was wanting other people in my life to live up to my expectations of what I thought. So learning to let go of expectation and learn to accept, um, that has been huge as well. Uh, yeah, that 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 those have been the two biggest lessons that I think I've learned in life is our our acceptance and learning how I communicate with myself. Mm, I think they're two really big ones because when you think about acceptance, how often do you see people they get involved in a relationship, things may be a little bit rocky, but they they stay in these relationships, for example, because they know they're going to change that person. And I yeah. always say it's impossible to change somebody else unless they want to change themselves. And I think that sometimes acceptance goes a long way. It speaks volume. When you accept someone for who they are, uh, flaws and all, it makes mm-hmm. such a big difference rather than you having this uh, focus on how they should be. 
Yes. So that's, that was a really good point. And I love the other part about emotions. And I think that this one's really big too for me. I think that over time, as I've uh, aged or matured, I should say, uh, as I've matured over time, I'm definitely better with my emotions. I, I think I'm more composed with my emotions, but it's taken me a long time to learn that. And I, I always wonder, like, how can we get across to those teenagers and those young adolescents that are still going through those emotional roller coasters as we all do? as we're going through our our growing years and development years and how do we help them uh work with work with their emotions because you don't want to wait till you're like 50 or 60 before you go I got this do you find mm-hmm. that uh, that you come across that situation quite often yeah i do i do come across that situation often and uh when when it comes to when it comes to to younger people um i'm I'm still working on that because I got to be honest, um, I'm not 100% sure that it's always effective with children because their brains are, and bodies are not fully developed until their mid-20s, mm. especially the brains and the development of the brain. So uh, my son is 20 years old right now. And what I'm finding that works well for him, and I've, I've tried to do this most of his life, you know, I've had several failures as a parent and I've never been given a mother of the year award. (laughs) Probably I've never deserved one, (laughs) but what I've always tried to do with my son is be honest with him and be real with him. Um, I've never tried to sugarcoat and I've, I've never tried to, um, I've never, I've never lied to him when, especially when he comes to me and asks a direct question. So I really feel like my son is, feel safe when he needs to come to me and approach me and talk to me about something, even if it is uh, what would be considered an embarrassing or an uncomfortable conversation that he needs to have. Um, And also realizing that sometimes when I snap at him, which I've done, we all snap at our children. If, you know, if you're a parent, I'm not, I don't think I've ever met a parent who hasn't kind of lost it and snapped at their kids at some point. Um, realizing that I need to hold myself accountable and go back and apologize and set a model for appropriate behavior and don't make it seem like it's okay to lose it and snap at him or yell at him and not go back and say, look, my tone of voice was incredibly inappropriate. I'm really sorry the way in which I spoke to you. Can we possibly talk about this in a calmer manner or so holding myself accountable and apologizing for my actions and setting a model for him, I think is really appropriate to handle his emotions and let him see that, yeah, people mess up. I mess up. I'm not perfect. But when I mess up, I need to, I need to hold myself accountable somehow and apologize and not only apologize for it, but try to do something to make up for it. Um, so I think the model that we set for our children is, is probably the most important thing. Um, but my, like I said, my son is 20 and I, I've learned all these lessons along the way in his childhood and I don't have younger children around. So 
I think that would work, but I hate to say for sure. <laughs> Does that make I, sense? Oh, absolutely. I'm the same. Yeah. I have a son. He's 23 and I'm exactly the same. I always uh, say to him, you know, um, you're not giving a, 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 a guidebook as a parent. So I'm learning as I go and I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fall over and, mm-hmm. and I do the same thing. I'm always holding myself accountable and we have the same relationship because when he's feeling a little bit stressed out, I'll just say, you know, I use his line. He'll go, just chill. Just take a chill pill. Just chill. So I use the mm-hmm. same. So we do have that, um, once again, you know, holding ourselves accountable to our own emotions and actually uh, giving yourself that space to say, you know, right now is not a good time for me to speak about this. I need to sort of digest it and I'll come back to you when I'm ready. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Putting ourselves in a timeout is important sometimes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I say that sometimes I'm like, I just need a few minutes just to get myself together and I'll be back. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jennifer, the other thing that we love to ask our women of inspiration, always love to ask about some of our biggest pain points uh, in life or business. So what would be some of your biggest pain points and how did you stumble across a solution for your pain point? Oh goodness, some of my biggest pain points. Um for I, I think in all areas of my life, um, for me, it's been my ego. Um as a professional, especially when I was early in my career, um when I when I graduated massage school and after I took my first myofascial class, I knew everything. Uh, and the more I took myofascial classes and the more I learned and the more I worked with people and I've realized just in life, the older I get, the dumber I get <laughs> because I don't know everything. So the older I get, the more I approach life as a beginner, as a newbie and with curiosity instead of, instead of I know this, I know how I'm going to fix this. I know what to do. So not going in with this. I can do this. I can fix this problem attitude, but approaching my clients, my life, um, my family with a little bit of curiosity and help me understand a type of attitude as opposed to, I know how to fix this type of attitude. Uh, it, that has been one of the biggest lessons for me is to set my ego aside and truly meeting people where they are, mm-hmm. not imposing my perceptions onto other people. Um, now, that's not to say that I don't communicate my perceptions to other people, because sometimes I do. I might communicate, you know, like what I see, what I think, or, you know, and a lot of times it's what I'm imagining in my head. Sometimes I'm spot on, but other times I'm so far off base and the person will tell me, no, that's that's not what's going on at all. So if I do communicate my perception to somebody not being offended when I'm wrong because my perception is not what they're experiencing. Um, that's been huge. And yeah, the, the, those mm. have been really huge. And that's all areas of my life, not just um, in my business. That has affected every part of my being. 
I love that. I love the fact that you set your ego aside and go in with a curious mindset. I'm the same with you. I always think that the older I get, the um, the more curious. I'm not going to say dumb because we're not dumb, <laughs> darling. I'm just going to say let's not dumb this down. Yeah. But it's more going Figure in there with – Yeah, no, I know. But it's more about <laughs> yeah. going in with that curiosity mindset because you're right, we don't have all the answers. And it's amazing how sometimes we can – uh, project our perceptions onto others or an environment and it's not once again once you're holding yourself accountable to your perceptions it changes mm-hmm. the game doesn't it that's a real game changer yes it is it's a major game changer mm, but I love that I love setting the ego side so what we do is we wrap up the show we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes your personal brand what would be that one word for you authenticity. Mm, I love that. I love that. And the other thing that we do as we wrap up the show, we always ask our woman of inspiration to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what are three golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Sure. Uh, The first one, as I've been talking about a lot, is know yourself. Know the cues your body gives you when something is right or something isn't right. Know the thought processes that come up in your mind when something is right or isn't right. Know how your intuition communicates with you uh, because it's so incredibly important at that deep soul level uh, to know what our purpose, because our soul knows what our purpose is and it communicates with us all the time through intuition and thoughts and emotions and sensations. So we have to be able to go inside ourselves in order to know ourselves. Um, That's the first one. Um, The next one is avoid attachments Um, and especially attachments to happiness and positivity and comfort. Um, Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being happy or positive or comfortable in life. But life is also about change and change brings up chaos and chaos is not comfortable when you're in the middle of a change and especially major changes in life. um, It's not comfortable. And frankly, it sucks to be there in some of the changes that happen in life, especially if it's a divorce or dealing with grief or a loss or a disaster or something that happens. So not being so attached to happiness that we, I call it, a, I call it either spiritual or emotional sabotaging, that we sabotage ourselves into missing opportunities and um, missing those communicate, those ways that we communicate with ourselves. Um, and I think the last little nugget would be make time for yourself every single day. Um, Again, knowing ourselves is important. I believe that we need to learn how we operate most effectively and most efficiently. Um, I've learned for myself that I really need space in the mornings. So I very rarely, and I say rarely because I am flexible sometimes, but for the most part, I rarely ever see clients before 10 a.m. I need that time in the morning, and I usually get up early, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and I need that time in the morning so I can take my shower. Um, I meditate when I'm in the shower. A lot of times in the mornings I walk around the house um, and I'm watching a TED Talk or a YouTube video. And that's kind of my morning inspiration. Um, 
And I try to find little times and little nuggets of time throughout the day where I can have time for myself. Um, but if that doesn't happen, at least I had my morning and that's how I keep myself together is by carving out that time for myself. And, you know, I just, this is one of my favorite phrases. Like I, I'm very much a believer and I want to finish with this. I'm a believer in fitting my schedule into my lifestyle and not fitting my lifestyle into my schedule. Um, so that's how I make time for myself every day as I fit my schedule around what works for me. Mm, I love that. And I also love the avoid attachment because sometimes we can get so attached to what, like I said, uh, you know, whether it's happiness or comfort that we actually miss the present moment, exactly what's going on in um, whatever, you know, and it's, I think this is where I practice gratitude, which takes away the attachment of an outcome or anything like that. I appreciate everything that I have right now. So I do love that. Thank you for sharing yeah. those. They're wonderful. You're welcome. And thank you for talking to me. So, Jennifer, before we wonderful. go, how can our listeners find sure. you? Um, I am online at www.massageology.net, and that is spelled M-A-S-S-A-G-O-L-O-G-Y. Mm. Um, so they can find me there. Uh, I can be found on Facebook. Um, I do have a link on my website to my Facebook page. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do a whole lot of social media because I've discovered over the years that I, I that tends to be a time waster for me and I'm not productive and Plus, social media is stressful. Um, I find myself looking at what's going on in the world, world, and my stress just rises. So I've had to take a step back from social media for my own well-being. I'm right there with you, darling. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for your wealth of wisdom and sharing all your knowledge with us. It's been awesome, and I'm wishing you the best rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much, Catherine, and you have a wonderful day. I've got the rest of my afternoon, and you have the whole day ahead of you. That's correct. Thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show, as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. If you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care.